Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. Each week, these teachings are provided and recorded online at youtube.com. Simply look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine at YouTube. We'd also like to invite you to check out www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find books, MP3 downloads, and videos with more of Malcolm's teaching. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And before I get started, let me turn your attention to that link above my head, which will take you to the details of our retreat, which is the first weekend of June in San Antonio. Um, We're very excited about it. And it would be marvelous if we could meet some of you that we meet through this medium so often. Um, But if you're going to come, please make your reservation as soon as possible, because space is limited. Okay, let's look at Exodus in chapter 14. This is, um, we've visited here before, but I, I feel very strongly that there are persons that are facing the same situation that we're describing here, and this word is for you. And so, uh, Exodus chapter 14, and then um, in verse 10, I'll give you the context of this in a minute. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by or stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Okay, this um, passage comes at a very uh, kind of climactic moment in the history of the Israelite people. They... Uh, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with when they were in Egypt, slaves of the Pharaoh. And the word of the Lord came to Moses in the wilderness. And and the Lord said that he, I mean, quoting directly, the Lord said, I will come down and I will deliver my people. And he gives that vision uh, to Moses. And then he says, Moses, you go and implement this. And so Moses had come to Egypt to the slaves, and and he says, the Lord is going to deliver you. And to begin with, they weren't too excited about it. But as the plagues followed the plagues, as 
And each one of those plagues, they, they were directed at a specific god of Egypt that the Egyptians worshipped. And so one by one, every god, every idol that the Egyptian people worshipped was shown to be nothing. And all and only God is the Lord God. And finally, there, there comes the death of the firstborn and the feast of the Passover. And then three million Israelite people are free from slavery and they go out. And if you can imagine the incredible joy that attends them as they leave their bondage, as they leave their shacks and they're going out of Egypt, out of their darkness and slavery and they're going to this new land that God has promised since the days of Abraham, 500 years before. God made covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and then with Jacob, the promise that was sealed in blood when God swore by himself and said that he would take them into that land of Canaan and it would be the land flowing with milk and honey and it would be their promised land. And now they're going. And essentially it was not too far, just across there it would be they would be there. And so three million people set free on their way to the promised land. And as they come to the edge of Egypt, the sort of border before you plunge out into the desert and the wilderness, right at that point, there they were met by what is called in the Old Testament, the cloud. Uh, you remember it was a cloud that led the Israelites through the desert, and, and at night time it glowed like flaming fire. That, that was not sort of a sort of foggy morning. The, that cloud was the visible presence of God, and, and it was a cloud that was a shimmering radiance of God's presence with them. That night looked like fire. And, and so now added to their joy, the, the visible presence of their God is going to lead them. He shall be their guide through this trackless wilderness. And they have a hope and they've caught hold of Moses' vision. They're delivered and they're going to the promised land. Now, if, if you had a, a map, and when I say a map, I mean a jolly good map, uh, one that comes from these days, uh, a map of that area, you would see that there was actually a highway. Not exactly an interstate, but it was a highway. It was not just a track through the desert. It was a, well, registered on the maps of that day. The highway led directly across the top. If, if you're not familiar, there, there is the Mediterranean Sea and here is the River Nile and, and you come away from Egypt and here the desert, but it, it, here's the sea and here's the desert and, and the highway went right along the sea there and, and then turned left into the land of Canaan. And as I say, it wasn't that far. But the cloud, the presence of God, does something that no one had anticipated. 
And I want you to hear me because many people overlook this. The cloud of God's guiding presence. Let me emphasize that. The cloud, the presence of God who was guiding, leading, sometimes called shepherding these people. And they they followed the cloud, but turn left. And turn left before they got anywhere close to Canaan. Now, now turning left meant they plunged off the highway into the wilderness. And when I say wilderness, it's very possible no one here has seen what I'm talking about. Endless sand dunes, uh, no track. And those sand dunes are going to be changing with every wind that blows the sand. And so when you think you've got a sighting today, it's changed by morning and, and they go into this wilderness where the temperatures soar to 120 in the daytime, plunge to below freezing at night into the wilderness, trackless wilderness, filled with imminent danger. And the cloud wanders around that wilderness. And then finally they end up, they suddenly come through the sand dunes and they're facing the Red Sea. Now, they can't go any further. It, it is the sea, and, and, and it's deep, and it's wide. Over the other side, they, they'll come to Arabia, um, but that's a, a long way away. That, what, what, what are we going to do? Three million people come to a grinding halt facing the Red Sea. I mean, what's going on? The cloud of the glory of God was still with them. He had led them to this place. But this isn't where we're supposed to be. He's led them here. What's going on? Now, meanwhile, back in Egypt, they have been mourning the loss of the firstborn, that last and terrible plague that came upon Egypt. And we know from Egyptian culture that that mourning took place in about two months. And so for two months, no one was allowed to leave their house and go about their business. They were in mourning for their lost ones. But now the two months is up. And believe me, I don't think Pharaoh was really mourning that whole time. It was just custom that kept him in his house. All he can think of is they got away. My slaves got away from me. And that madman Moses led them out. And by the time the period of mourning is up, Pharaoh is seething and he's ready to go after these people and catch them and bring them back and get his slaves back. And so he gets his crack troops. I, I don't know, they might be Navy SEALs today. Um, they, they, they were the best he'd got. And here they go in their chariots and running alongside the chariots. It's a mini army. That's all he needs to catch a bunch of slaves. And they follow the tracks. It was very easy. I mean, footprints as far as the eye could see. And then he sees, 
It's amazing that they've gone off the highway, off into the wilderness. And so his troops veer around and follow the tracks. And here sits Israel facing the Red Sea. And the cloud of the presence of God is going nowhere, nowhere. It isn't that the cloud went along the shore. The the cloud has come and, and camped there. And so they're surrounded by wilderness, but they're not about to go into the wilderness without the leading cloud. And then they see it on the horizon, the dust cloud, the dust, the sand rising from the horse hoofs and the chariots and the running army alongside of them. And they realize it. Pharaoh is coming after us. Ahead of us is the sea. Beside us on either side is the ever-moving wilderness of lostness and death. And here, running toward us, across there on the horizon, is Pharaoh and his army. Oh, I suddenly... I want you to very carefully think of this. Suddenly, as they are standing there, looking out across the wilderness desert, seeing their approaching death in and return to slavery in the form of Pharaoh, in that moment, their vision of God's glorious future their vision of God's covenant promises being kept to the nth degree, it's all gone. I mean, someone pulled the plug and the bath emptied. It's gone. There's no more hope. There's no more vision. And they're screaming and they're crying. It says they cried to the Lord, but it's obvious a few verses down, the Lord tells them to stop it. They're not praying, they're just screaming hysterically, they're directing it Godward, but it's not prayer. They've lost hope, they've lost faith. In fact, fear has replaced their vision. Fear has replaced their faith circumstances have suddenly changed. You get it? They're they're confused sitting there at the beach wondering what the presence of God is going to do next. But they're still pretty joyful because somehow, some way they're going to their promised land. But now circumstances, and it didn't take an hour, just the beginning of that cloud of dust on the horizon. And immediately, immediately, with the change of circumstance, with the altering of situation, their vision is gone. In fact, as far as their conversation goes at that point, God has changed from being the God of covenant promise who keeps his word from being the one who shall lead them into the promised land. He has become the fickle promise breaker. He he has become 
the one who has abandoned them and forsaken them. Now, now think about that and think about it very deeply. Can the sudden appearance of Pharaoh, can the agenda of Pharaoh suddenly change the character and the person of God? Please hear me and ask yourself the question. Can a change of circumstances, can a change in my situation change the character of God? That when Pharaoh shows up on the horizon, God ceases to be the God he's been before? Of course not. God is who God is, and no person and no circumstance can ever change him. But there, what can I say? This situation that they suddenly find themselves in has made what was up until that moment the possible. That which God was doing has been turned into impossible. It's not going to happen now. We're all going to be dead meat in the wilderness or slaves back in Egypt. It says they were very frightened. Fear had them by the throat. You you know what that is, don't you? Fear. Fear, that, that dread. The dread of impending hurt. The dread that some terrible harm is going to come upon me. The dread of destruction. Physical, mental, emotional. I mean, it's grip. And in that darkness that attends fear, for for fear is like a terrible tangible, tasting darkness that comes into my total innermost self and expands into my body so that my body is sweating, shaking, my intestines are twisted, my neck is suddenly in terrible paralysis. You You know what I'm talking about. And in that darkness within there comes the whispers, those terrible satanic whispers in the darkness saying, obviously God has forsaken you, hasn't he? He's abandoned you to your enemies. Where's God now? Of course the presence of God was still there in the cloud. But in that moment of fear, they're they're almost blind. They've totally forgotten the presence of God. Those whispers in the dark, God, you see, is your enemy. God is now destroying you. You must have done some terrible bad thing for God now to turn against you and be hostile to you and be your enemy. He's destroying you. He's throwing you to the wolves. Some of you will know what I mean by that. Those inner whispers, those thoughts that go crazy in your head. They have faith, you see, but it's faith that's been redirected. It's no longer faith in God, it's faith in Pharaoh. They stand now in in awe and wonder and expectancy of the power of Pharaoh to destroy them. Fear. Fear. Mental paralysis. I mean, fear, there's no rational thoughts with fear. 
your, 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 your thoughts go racing through your head, tripping over each other with no rhyme or reason. Chaos reigns inside fear. And fear always has a storyteller. You know what I mean? You do know what I mean. When a story begins to be told inside your head, using your imagination as the movie screen and the story, the story, this is what's going to happen to you, you know, this is what's going to happen. And it's very vivid, very vivid, because in the story, in the story, Pharaoh's already here. Pharaoh has already come with swords drawn. Most of you are dead. And... You know the story, and the stories go on. The stories go on. A hundred variations on what could happen, what might happen, which will probably happen. All of this, those racing thoughts, and those terrible stories that are told in your head, that they're waves. It's like a tsunami of toxic energy. It's an emotional meltdown. In fact, that is the exact word that is the, the way the Hebrew language puts it. And in your older versions of the Bible, they actually translate it literally. And it says their hearts melted within them. They, they had a meltdown. You're a ship in a storm. But you don't have an anchor. You're thrown by every current and wind, and it seems the devil himself is the captain. And in that moment, they cannot or will not face what is. We're going to come back to that. But hear, hear me, they can't face what is. They reject what is. They can't face it. They're refusing it. They're walking backwards away from it. And they do it by blame. They say, Moses. Yes, there's almost the hint of a lynch in the way they said it, Moses. Yeah, you, you came into Egypt with this idiotic story of the promises. of you, you came to, and you said to us those stupid words like freedom, like out of Egypt. Yeah, stupid. What, what are they saying? They, they, they are going back. We, we all do it. it. It says, you shouldn't have come. You ought not to have said that. If you hadn't said that, we wouldn't be in this situation. As if by blaming and going back to when something was said or something was done, that somehow that's going to change this situation. See, we avoid, we won't look at, this is what is. It doesn't matter how we got here, this is what is. And trying to blame Moses is only refusing to look at what is and say, if only we hadn't listened, then we'd be, and here we are. We're floating off, and we're going back, and we're saying, we told you, didn't we? We told you that we wanted to be slaves of Pharaoh, and you upset everything by bringing us here. Ridiculous, isn't it? Their complaints and their blaming 
and their imagination working over time to remember what it was like in Egypt and saying, if only we're back there. Huh. Freedom. If only. If only we had not listened. If only we had stayed in Egypt, it would be so wonderful now. We would be in bliss, wouldn't we? Slaves of Pharaoh, beaten to a pulp by the taskmasters. But oh, it would be so wonderful. It would not be like this. Why is this happening to me? You know how it goes. And they define themselves now by this situation. They define themselves by their racing thoughts and by the stories they're telling in their heads. And they see themselves as the victims of what's happening. And the hint is there, we're victims of God. Oh, isn't it ridiculous? God's love of power, God's covenant commitment had brought them out of Egypt. And now they're saying we're victims. They're they're wallowing in self-pity at what God has done in their lives. Their only expectancy is if they go into the desert, they'll lose everything and die very quickly. And if they go forward, they'll drown in the Red Sea. And if they stay where they are, they'll be slaves of Pharaoh or worse. And so they look in that inner mirror and say, I am marked for death wherever I turn. It's curtains. There's no way out of this. And to that situation, which I really believe there are some listening to me right now, you are in that situation. And the word of God through Moses came to them, do not fear. And I would underscore it and say, that is a command It's an imperative statement. Do not fear. Command. And I don't know how many times in Scripture this phrase is is found or something like it. There's fear not. How many times it says fear not. Do not fear and so on and so on. And when giving commands later on to these, uh, the children of these people, um, 40 years hence and through Joshua, it says, be strong, be courageous, only do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be timid. Now, the fact it's a command is very interesting. It means, doesn't it then, that we're responsible for what we choose to fear. Now, you think that through very quickly. If it's a command, and if God is giving the command, he expects it to be obeyed. So they are fearing Pharaoh. God says, do not fear the only logical conclusion is that they can stop fearing Pharaoh. We are responsible, I say, we are responsible 
for what we choose to fear. These people had enough foundational truth concerning the character of God and his promises that they could and should and were called to stop fearing Pharaoh and let your fear, your awe, your wonder, your hope, your expectancy be turned to the Lord. Now, isn't it interesting? And I don't want to be sarcastic. I, I, I am just reading this and kind of pulling it out. There's no sympathy here, is there? Do not fear. Just a plain command. Staccato, speaking imperative. Do not fear. Now, do not fear. There's no now there, there. I understand what you're going through. I, and I know the family you come from. It's understandable the way. No, there's no sympathy here. You are placing yourself into the jaws of spiritual death. Get out. Do not fear. There's no crisis counseling. Fear is not looked upon as some disease that I have to be edged out of. Rather, it's a command to be obeyed. And to be obeyed right now, do not fear. And I remind you again, this is not an isolated text, but it spans the entire Bible, and it's always in terms of a command. Refocus your faith. You came out of Egypt believing the character of God and his covenant promises. Refocus. What happened? You turned all your faith and expectancy to Pharaoh and his satanic intentions and the power of his army. Refocus back to the God who has brought you this far, this far. Return to the vision that came to you through Moses. Walk out right now. Do not fear. Walk out of the lie. Walk out of living life by your five senses. Stop these silly stories of the lie that play in your imagination. Get out. Stop fear. And return to the word of God and the vision of God. You see, if fear is a choice, also faith is a choice. David said in the Psalms, and actually we could probably fill the next half an hour with, with texts that prove this, but i just give you two for the sake of time. David said, when I am afraid... I will trust in you. Please hear that. When I am afraid, I will. You didn't say I'll try. You didn't say I'll, I'll excite my feelings in your direction. He says I will. That's the choice. That, that, that's the activity of, of your central self, your will. I will trust in you. I will not. I will trust in you. I fear not. 
I fear not. I choose not. I will trust in you. And, and, and the one that we all know so well, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's where these people were right now. The valley of the shadow of death. Pharaoh cast a cold shadow of death as he moves toward them. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? I will fear no evil. From where you stand in fear, you take the choice of intentional leaping into his love. That is, it's not a torturous pathway of trying, it simply is. I stand into his love. I stand into resting in his wisdom and his power because he is with me. He did not bring us out of Egypt to kill us in the desert. He cannot break his covenant words. This that I'm speaking of right now is not fighting fear. It's not saying, I won't be afraid. I won't be afraid. It's simply, I stand into the Lord who is my lover, my keeper, my guide. It is not trying to think faith. It is standing into who God is and what he will do. That is why over the months that we've talked together every week. I've made so much here, there, and everywhere uh, of that phrase that's reiterated all the way through the Psalms, the Lord is my. And all those uh, phrases, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my shield, on and on and on it goes, the Lord is, the Lord is. Do you realize all those statements were delivered by David when he was in a similar situation? He's facing his worst enemy. He's facing situations that are about to crush him. And he steps into, I don't know another way of saying it, he steps into the is. As, as I'm here in fear, I step into the Lord is. And he is. It isn't I've got to dedicate myself and read my Bible every day and pray a lot more and then maybe a No. From where you stand, with your intestines in knots and your neck like a rigid piece of concrete, your brain racing with stories and crazy thoughts, from there, the Lord is my covenant lover. The Lord is my protection. It's an act of a moment. And then said Moses, stand firm. That, that's a very interesting expression in the Hebrew language that Moses was speaking. Stand firm. It, I suppose if we could catch a hold of what it, it meant to these people, we would say it means to 
stand present to. Um, it means to take a firm stand, to be present at a location. Or could I put it this way? It means that I choose to be present to where I now am. Because where I now am is where God is. The cloud of God's glorious presence was right there with them. He had led them to the Red Sea and he is here. And as Pharaoh is charging across the desert, he's charging towards that presence of God. And so stand firm means stand firmly in the situation where you now find yourself where God is. So you choose, hear me carefully, you choose to be present to God and therefore to this now situation where God is. You see, as they blamed Moses and as they had their idiotic fear thought stories about what it the bliss of being back in Egypt if this hadn't have happened if only we weren't here why did this have to happen to me and all the rest of it like like butterflies flitting from flower to flower anywhere but not here I don't want to be here I don't want to think about here because here is death no Here is where God has chosen to be. His glory is here. He led you here. Be present to him here as he is here now present to you. Do you understand what I'm I'm saying here? Choose. Choose to be here in the middle of God's activity where his glory is and shall be made manifest. I I want you to think about this long after I've stopped talking tonight. Choose to be where you are. I, I, I have to emphasize you are choosing to be where God is. You choose to embrace God at this moment. But what we forget is he's here. He's now. You see, he's not the God who dwells in, in, in your what, what sentimental views of the past. God's not there. All you've got there is... Very poor memories because you've forgotten a lot of things. When these people were saying, wasn't it wonderful in Egypt? I wish we were back there as slaves. They'd forgotten the lash of the whip and they'd forgotten their fellows that just died in the mud. Our memories are very selective at such times. And, you know, if only we were somebody else, if only we were like them. Yes, you you don't have a clue what they're going through. No, we're, we're very... God isn't there. God isn't there. He's here. He's now. 
then stop being a butterfly and choose to be here. Which, of course, is silly because you are here. But because of the incredible creatures that we are, we have to choose to be where we are and choose then, in that sense, to be present to the God who only dwells in this now moment. And and I am present to naked trust in him. That is, I trust him. And I say nakedly because I don't present to him my agenda of what I think he should be doing right now and what he ought to do in the next few minutes and then trust my agenda to have some lodge with him. No, I trust him, period. I trust him. Because I cannot imagine his plans. I, If I had been there at this point, I wouldn't have a clue of what he was about to do. I, maybe I could imagine that he would meet Pharaoh before Pharaoh got to us and... I, I'm, I could even see that he would defeat Pharaoh. I, I mean, all that sort of stuff. And we've got plenty of evidence of that sort of stuff in the rest of the Bible. But to open the Red Sea and tell me to walk across the bottom of the sea while he holds it open? No, never. In a million imaginations would I have thought that's what he was going to do. So I mean naked trust in him. Choose to be present to the God. Choose the embrace of the God who is in this now situation and therefore choose to be present where you are. Or feel it, feel it. Come on, I've been where you are. I'm not talking this out of an ivory tower. I have stood there facing what to me was the end of everything. Be present to it. This, this, that to, to me is the end of life, is in fact the arena in which God has chosen to be the place where he will show forth his glory. And so my... My standing firm expresses itself. I stand here now in Christ who is in the Father. I'm sta- I am standing here participating in the very life and love of the Holy Trinity. I stand with you, my Father, my protector, my provider, my wisdom, my strength. And I do so in the face of everything that my eyes report to me and my ears hear. All my sense, knowledge and interpretation of events, all my thoughts, all logic, all common sense, all reason. Yeah, I know what it all says, but I choose to be present to you. And your love. I choose to be present trusting you. That you are now executing, bringing to pass your love intentions. 
and that you mean this moment for a good that is beyond my comprehension. I choose to accept without debate or question your covenant word and there I rest. He said, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will accomplish. I've got to throw this in before we finish. Accomplish. It's a word, and you've heard me talk about it many times because it crops up all over Scripture in the Hebrew language, Asa. And it's that word that is right back there in Genesis 1 and 2. It's the word of the Creator, And, you know, there are two words. There's the first word in Genesis 1, create, which means to call something out of nothing. But then there's this word, which is maybe make. It's the word that means that which God called out of nothing. He now takes that and he shapes it and he forms it and he makes It is God the sculptor. It is God the carpenter. It's God the artist. It is God taking what he has made and now fashion it, taking it out of chaos into shape and form. So you see, he took the dust of the earth. He'd already made that. And then it says he formed man. And the word that is there is asa. He the squeezing and the soaring and the gluing and the putting together, the making. The best illustration I've ever seen of this, I, when I lived in Brooklyn, New York, um, I used to go up to Cape Cod and there in the, especially in the late winter, early spring, so that before the crowds, before the tourists, I, I, received the messages I would preach through the summer. And there were a group of artists there. You know, the kind of artists that you meet on Cape Cod or maybe Key West or maybe San Francisco. You know, the kind of artists. They're they're hardly mainstream. And and yet they were artists. And, And... there, there were about four of them, or five maybe, and, and one would be selected, and the others would go down to the beach. And of course, the winter storms had lashed the coast. And so now they go down that beach, late spring, and, and there's all the stuff that has been washed up in the storms. It's amazing what was washed up. Um, I remember seeing there bits of a doll, you know, an arm here or a leg there. Uh, it had been a little girl's doll, but had been smashed and hurled, and I don't know where it had come from across the ocean, but now it had been thrown up on the beach. And there was wood there that had been so thrashed by the water over maybe years. It was now smoothed and shaped into odd shapes. There are bits of gadgets and plastic and you know what I'm talking about, just the stuff. Trash. Or you could say, as you walk down the beach, it's 
what was once somebody's possession, somebody's inheritance, some, somebody had received as a gift. Once it was a little girl's doll, but it's broken now. And so it's a broken possession and a broken dream. And, and these artists, they picked up all this stuff and they went back with the, the pile of it uh, to the one artist that had been selected and they dumped the whole heap in front of him. And now he's got to take that trash and turn it into a sort of picture glued to a canvas. And they did. These magnificent pieces of art made up of all the junk that have been washed up on the seashore. And then they signed it, proudly so. But this is what I made with all that brokenness. And during the summer they sold their pieces. i never forget that. Never forget it, because I saw myself on that beach. All my broken dreams, all the dead ends, all that I had received that had been smashed and broken. And, and then the God who is the maker, God the Asa, the one who takes brokenness, the one who takes dead ends, the one who takes what everybody else, the consensus would be, trash it. But he takes it. The pile of junk that we do with our lives. And he makes it. And he makes it into such a thing of beauty. And he signs it with his name and says that in that is his glory. And Moses put the word salvation together with that. The salvation he will accomplish. The salvation he will make. Salvation. The deliverance. The freedom. The, the divine peace. The divine joy. The divine wholeness. The complete closure to slavery when the covenant would be taken from theory into history, when they would be given a track record with God that not only they, but right to this present day, their sons and daughters would build their life on. This moment of terror was actually... Huh, the arena of love's accomplishments, love's making. And said, Moses, for you, keep silent. Keep silent. All of your hysterical screaming to God, be quiet. Still. All of your blame shifting. All of your thoughts and coupled words that would flit across all other possibilities and complaining and grumbling, quiet. 
Let your faith be redirected. Be present to the God who is here and now. And be still. And see as God takes this situation and makes it into something that will overshadow history for the rest of time. He'll open the Red Sea and you will walk across the bottom of the ocean and you'll do so. You'll have peace at the bottom of the sea and you will emerge on the other side and you will see as all the hosts of Pharaoh in the middle of that path through the sea are engulfed as the great cliffs of water collapse upon them. And you, my friend, will be free and you will move on propelled by the vision of God into the inheritance that he has promised you. Well, there it is. And I trust that all, all of us will receive this word from God, but those that it was specifically given for, hear the word of the Lord and do it. Amen. And again, let me remind you that we shall be doing the retreat in San Antonio the first weekend of June, and it will be God, God's vision for you. And it will deal with, well, what I've said tonight is just skidding the surface of what we plan to do that weekend. But it deals with vision and how we walk in vision and how we rise above circumstances and our fears to walk in that vision. And so I trust, I really do, that I shall meet you face to face. And now, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be with you. His blessing penetrate to your very heart, flooding you with light and understanding, with peace and with joy. So I bless you this night. And that's the way it is.